0: You're listening to the Single Track Society, a podcast that aspires to have meaningful conversations about mountain biking related topics. My name is Jarno and my life has revolved around bikes since 1985. I'm sitting down with the riders, racers, industry insiders, and anyone passionate about mountain biking. We'll talk about their riding adventures, the lessons they've learned, what inspires them, and how they see the mountain biking community. Welcome to the first episode of the Single Track Society. For this episode, I sat down with Doug from Basque MTB. He's been running a mountain bike guiding operation in the north of Spain since 2008. We chat about how a Scotsman ended up in Spain, what a guide has to deal with on a daily basis, and how the coronavirus affected his business. We should be technically, we should be online now. Um, yeah,
1: yeah, my one's my one's up
0: perfect oh we had some uh, nice technical difficulties as it always uh, always is um yeah Doug nice to meet you um Hello. nice to meet you thanks and uh yeah tell me a little bit about who you are what you do where you're from
1: well I'm Doug Doug McDonald um and I'm the owner of uh, Basque MTV, which is uh like a fairly small mountain bike guiding uplift holiday company based in the north of Spain, um, which is between really Bilbao San Sebastian and across the Pyrenees. Um, I'm originally Scottish as you can probably tell. Uh, I'm from the very north of Scotland. Um, but I've been out here in Spain for what, twelve or thirteen years now. So probably my accent's mellowed off a little bit. <laughs> uh, and yeah, like my wife's my wife's from this part of Spain, so that's how I ended up here. Um, so, thirteen, twelve, thirteen years ago, we decided to move out uh, for a bit of a change of life. She wanted to move back home, and I was ready for a change. So that's what brought me here, and how I ended up being a mountain bike guide for, for a living.
0: Not bad, not bad. So there, yeah, there you are. Um, well, obviously, before you moved out, you you were already a mountain yeah. biker. Um, yeah. So where exactly are you and did you did you grow up and,
1: and I grew up, well, I actually grew up in an amazing place for mountain biking, which is uh, about an hour north of Inverness um, on the east coast where there's a, like a, a famous trail center there called Gosby, Um mm-hmm. about maybe a, an hour from Gorm's National Park um, and an amazing place for mountain biking. But I didn't really do that much mountain biking. Uh, when I was growing up or we did we used mountain bikes but we didn't do mountain biking if that makes sense uh, we used mountain bikes because we lived in the middle of the country and then I I went to Glasgow so I, I sort of did my adult the adult part of my life in Glasgow and it was really there that I started mountain biking um, You know, about mountain biking like you know going for a ride rather than using a bike as a transport to do something Um so that would have been well, I don't know like 99 or something like that that sort of time and it was when all the trail centers, all the trail centers were starting in scotland so it was uh it was you know a great time to start mountain biking and all of a sudden there was these places where without having to learn to read a map and all these things uh you could just go and turn up and there was you know amazing trails built ready to ride so that's really how i got into it and then mostly uh sort of I suppose what we call, what we call, or what do we call it now? Do we call it Enduro or All Mountain or mountain
0: Biking? There's lots of new marketing names for, for, for all of this. And then,
1: yeah, like, obviously, Inner Lethen was right there. So um, and there was the uplifts um, that were, were run there. So that really got me into sort of more, like let's say, the sort of gravity side of things. That was sort of the... The format that I, I tried to do when we when we sort of started Basque MTB worked towards having not downhill but like a an uplifted you know where you spend as much time going down as as going up let's say, um, which means you need a lot of uplift.
0: Cool. Um, did you ever venture up into into racing, and, and what was the riding scene like in, in when you started out? Um, I. We did some uh, some twenty four hour
1: races, you know these like where you get a team of friends and you do either well some people do it by themselves, but so I did a bit of uh, of that style of racing, Um, and that that was good fun. It was a bit of an adventure, but and then
0: recently did you do the one up north in um, I forgot his name, the buffer?
1: Yeah, yeah, I did that a couple of times. Yeah, that was a. That was a good one, actually. That was like, um, those are like my sort of home trails. So, yeah, I did that. That was good. It was tough. Lots of mud always. But, um, yeah, so there's like, you don't have that much daylight. You know, it gets light maybe, I don't know, 10 o'clock in the morning. And then it gets dark again at sort of 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So, but it was really good atmosphere. and They had a big tent, you know, with heaters and, and you would uh, come in from your lap and stand next to the heaters, kind of. Because uh, what happened a lot because it was so cold is the bike would freeze up, so you couldn't change gears. or so.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I had some colleagues who, who actually have done it, and I know a bunch of people that did. And I've, I've had an invitation once or twice just to go over and do it. It's, it's I just couldn't get myself, to, to, yeah. I just couldn't get myself to um, to go that far up north in that time of year yeah. uh, and do a twenty four hour race. And, uh, but I've heard a lot about it, and yeah, um, I know it's quite legendary. So it's, yeah, no, it's, that must have been good character building. Yeah, that's it.
1: And then recently, I've done more. I've done like a, a bit of um, you know the, when the EWS came here, I raced, but. Um, not really my my thing to be honest it's uh, not i don't like i find it was just a good way of spoiling a good ride so i really enjoyed like being there for the EWS, and i enjoyed the like seeing all the people and
0: the social aspect Yeah,
1: the, the, the social aspect exactly but the actual racing you know waiting for the beeps and then you have to go as hard as you want it's not really my thing and I did a, actually, last year I did a really cool race, which is called the Trans Nomad. which is, um, it's like a, it's like an enduro race, but like sort of across the sort of highest accessible parts of the Pyrenees, um, mm-hmm. and it's quite small, so I think there's a hundred uh, competitors, and really there's like, there's like 10 fast guys, and then there's maybe like 20, 30 people that are sort of Taking a little bit seriously, but not so seriously, and then there's like 60 people that are just having a laugh, and that was really good. That was a good uh, a good event to do.
0: I think uh, my friends did the video team for for those guys. I think it was two Dutch guys, wasn't it? Uh, Lars Veenstra and um, yeah, um, was it Michiel? Because I, well, I think those guys did the think yeah, There was, something
1: about that. There, was a, there was a there was a Dutch team there for there was two guys and a girl. The girl was super fast. Um I can't remember her name now. Um but they were sort of obviously doing it and as part of a media thing.
0: Mm. Cool. Yeah. It's quite funny actually because you know I had my I had my own time racing downhill and I raced BMX and I I did racing you know, some um uh some enduro every now and then, but I, I, at a certain point I just couldn't couldn't push myself just to really take so much risk and really go go to that edge. And yeah. um, I've, I've ran my own uh, mountain bike travel company for a while, uh, mm-hmm. basically just using local guides. Mm-hmm. And one of the trips that I did was called uh, The Blast. And it basically is people having a blast. I'd um, have a group of 10 to 20 people max. Uh, we would do two and a half days of riding, uh, uplift assisted, but you also have to climb about a thousand uh, meters altitude a day. Yeah, uh, and per day we would do three times descents, mm-hmm. um, but they were like blind racing, and the timing is hostile. No you know, synchronized watches, three, two, one, go, and and it was exactly like that. You had like the top three, four people who were on it and not slowing down, and then the rest of the group was kind of like, oh man, did you see that view when you came around that corner? And I had, yeah, I had to stop and take a picture. <laughs> so. Uh, Usually after day one, people were kind of chilled. And on day two, I was always announcing the difference, the time difference between people. So, you know, like, all right, Johnny, uh, you're seven seconds off from Gary uh, for place number 11. And then all of a sudden they got they got all serious. Not serious, yeah. But serious, as, uh, you know, um, as serious can get. Uh, I noticed that with yes um, like
1: uh, a lot of people are really serious. And, you know, like, like, really properly take it seriously and then they're like finishing 200th and you're like do you really care whether you finish like 200th or 195th (laughs) it's like for me you know if i was tenth, then yeah i could see like being so serious to try and get up to ninth, you know but really when you're down in like the 200s does
0: it really matter (laughs) exactly and then it's also um I can understand if you're if you if you got a shot to make it somewhere close to you know professional level, world, you know. Uh, but in the other other any other circumstance, it is just like a little battle to yourself. Can I be better than myself? Um, but some people are putting themselves up for it like so much. They really have so so much to prove. Yeah, that's it. Um, yeah. But uh, well, yeah, it's 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 cool that you, you actually you gave racing a try, but guiding is more your.
1: Yeah, I think. Uh- I like the bar after the race more than the race.
0: You know, I was gonna say besides riding bikes, is there anything else that, uh, that, that did you do any other sports or um, I mean I, I skied quite a lot um,
1: when I was uh, when I was younger, but really, uh, when I sort of discovered biking, it, it pretty much took over my life. So um, all the other things that I used to do, I sort of stopped doing. Um, and even now, you know, to, to to make the effort to go skiing, um, you know, and it's expensive, and you have to drive there, and there's other people, and you have to queue, and uh, or just to take my bike, and I can just go out my door, or or I can drive to somewhere new and go, and it, I don't really find the the attraction to do anything else. I think. Uh, there's really a, a point where I say, I've had enough biking, now I want to do something else.
0: Yeah, what I find is that the average day on the bike is much better than the average day on skis or on the snowboard. Yeah. But if you have a good day on skis or a good day on the snowboard, um, that easily outtrumps a, a good day on the bike. Just because because everything has to come together: the weather, the snow. The... I think for me, for skiing, to get the same
1: thing from skiing like I got from biking I'd have to do you know like skinning up and and real sort of backcountry stuff um which I've got a lot of friends here that do but um it's another set of equipment to buy and you know so I've never really done that I got the times I've gone skiing recently it's been you know go to piste and, and pay the lift pass
0: I do a fair bit of the backcountry stuff um but in the end, it's just a load of faff bringing loads of gear because you need extra clothes because you get sweaty and then the wind comes out and then you're freezing cold and then you go over a glacier and then you need to get all kinds of ropes and uh, and just a risk element, a risk assessment element of it. Um, shall I go? Shall I not go? Uh, it, it is... I, I'm always quite excited when winter comes around. But when it's usually around March or April, I'm like, yeah, no. It's, I just want to... Grab a bike, smash out a couple of laps, and then, you know, end up in flip-flops and a beer. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, um, Basque MTB. Uh, you, see, you mentioned there was a, there was a lady involved uh, in, 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 uh, in, in the start of it all. So, uh, based in Glasgow, doing your thing, uh, living life. I would presume uh, a Basque lady enters your life, and, and tell me more about that.
1: Uh, yeah, that was it. So my,
0: uh, my
1: partner, Amaya, um, I met her just by chance in a bar in, in Edinburgh. Um, and yeah, so sort of changed changed everything really. Um, so I mean, it, was a, yeah, I mean, it was a funny story because it, it was a horrible bar that we were in. It was one of these bars that you, you know, when all the other bars shut, there's some bars that you can pay to get into. Normally because they've got some sort of live music and you get another, you know, it's not as much as a club, but it's another couple of hours. And, uh, and I happened to meet her in there and uh, and that was it. Yeah. And then after, I don't know, after like a couple of years or something, she got offered a, a job um, back in, in, in the Basque country where she's from. And, uh, and we decided to go for it. We decided to, to make the move. And uh, I, don't, I don't speak any Spanish at all.
0: I was going to say, what about, what about the language barrier? <laughs> yeah,
1: now, now I still speak Spanish with a Scottish accent, but uh, <laughs> now I can speak Spanish. But back then it was, it was almost nothing. So the idea was to, to do some guiding, you know, um, see what happened. And at the very least, if it didn't work, I'd have some time to learn Spanish before I got like a, a proper job, yeah. and yeah, and, and it worked. So, so now that's what we do. She, you know, she helps ask him and and that's how we, or oh, until recently, that's how we how we paid the bills. You know,
0: so. Well, oh, good, good thing that the proper job thing didn't happen because I'm, I'm sure you brought a lot of uh, good times to people. So, um, when when what year was that when you moved to to? Um... We moved out of here at the end
1: of 2008, I think it was. So, hmm. and then we did like, I think there's two ways you can start a, a company. Uh, one hmm. way is slowly, and the other way you need money. Um, you know, so. So, you invest in, in advertising and publicity. But when I moved out here, I mean, really, like it wiped out all the savings I had um, mm. moving, you know, getting rid of like, you know, the flat I had, and all of these things. Um, so, basically, when I ended up moving out here, we just had absolutely no money at all. So, mm. for doing advertising and everything like that was impossible. Um, mm. And, you know, just, even things like, you know, I had like like an old bike and, you know, like trying to keep my bike going so that things didn't break on it. And just really, you know, if I'd, like in my suspension, my fork had blown up. I, I didn't have money to replace it, you know? So it was like, it was a funny time. But basically what we did then is we just started very, very slowly. And I mean, the first year, I think I did like 40 people the, the first year and obviously didn't make any money at all. And then the next year, a lot of those 40 people came back or told to other people, and we guided like maybe like 80 people. And it just gradually built up like that, um, sort of quite organically, which was really cool because I think if I'd, if I'd arrived here with a whole bunch of money, excuse me, if I'd arrived here with a whole bunch of money and designed a company and set it up like what my idea was back then it wouldn't have been the same it was cool doing it slowly because i was able to sort of like um try things out and and sort of shape the the company that that worked for me and for the area so it gave us time to do all of that rather than just all of a sudden being busy and and then like when you're busy you're just really reacting you know you're you get a booking you make the booking you do it Whereas if you've not got any bookings, you can sort of go and, and decide what you want to do.
0: Yeah it, it grows organically and, I, and of course also from my own experience, you sit down and you, you you try and think everything through and see all the details. And then basically when you're when you're a couple of weeks in, uh, you already realize that all the details that you thought of were actually rubbish and your whole plan, like the whole three weeks that you spend thinking everything out. This is not going to work.
1: No, I'm making the change from like uh, the trails or the, the the type of day you would have on a bike for just yourself, or maybe yourself and some some friends that you know really well. When you try and package that and sort of put it to somebody else, you know, it doesn't work. Um, and I think there's like a real uh, a real sort of art to putting together a day that works. For, with a group of people, even, you know, we only use small groups, but with a small group of people with lots of options and, you know, somebody's tired and have an option for them or all of a sudden these guys came that they told you they were expert riders and they're not and you have to suddenly, you know, change everything and all these things that are so different when you ride with, with friends, you know. And the other thing is your friends, you ride a bit of trail and it's rubbish and you say to your friends, oh, I'm sorry, last time I came through here, it was really good. They don't mind, but if that's somebody's one week of holiday on a bike a year, and and the morning has been a rubbish bit of trail, or you know it, it, it's that you can't do that, so it's really
0: different. Yeah, yeah the pressure is really on in those situations, isn't it? And um, and yeah, especially also the difference in level. Um, yeah, a lot of I know a lot of British people they go like, oh, is it like a red trail or is it like a a black section? Mother Nature doesn't think in those type of colours, you know. You can have like a super fluffy, what we classify as a blue or a green, followed by some rock garden death nard that, you know, only Mother Nature can come up with, and it's hard to classify. It's really hard, and uh, and there's real
1: cultural differences as well, you know, um, for how people describe themselves, you know. like like uh, Like, for instance, just from where I'm from, Scotland, it's you'll get people that say oh yeah no I ride a bit I'm okay and then you know it turns up and they're like you know they're, they're absolutely the most rapid person you've ever ridden with so <laughs> it's like you've got to sort of be aware of that and also where people are from you know like we're we're lucky that we've got good trails but a lot of people don't have that and a lot of people um have um trails that aren't that difficult or or for instance steepness you know lots of places in the world don't have steep trails so they say oh yeah no i'm a really good rider i can ride everything and then when they come they're like what is that that's not a trail (laughs) So so now i've got a lot better now we've got like a way of i you know i don't just ask people what their level is so now we go through a whole process and you know if I'm not sure, I get people to send me videos of them riding and and stuff like that. So th- th- that side of things definitely got a lot easier.
0: Well, you learn quickly once you um, have a group of really good riders on a mellow trail, and they start, you know, panicking and crashing, and because uh, yeah, that's, that's you want everybody to to stay in one in one piece. Yeah. So. Um, was it two thousand eight, two thousand uh, nine? You started guiding. Of course, you had to get some kind of guiding qualification. So, what did you go from the Scottish cycling, yeah. or so I went for the um,
1: the the Scottish system. So, uh, when uh, when we decided we were moving out, I basically started doing my my qualification. Um, and I got the Scottish the SMBLA. Um, so I got that qualification, and really, what we found in Spain is there's. There's a real vacuum of um, of organisation, which is starting to get filled up just now. But I mean, when I moved here, there wasn't mountain biking really. There was a handful of people doing what we call mountain biking, and it was a real shock for me. Um, you know, the the level of the riders. There was a, a small pocket of very very good riders, and then like where. In Scotland, the, the majority of riders were. There was just nothing. You know, those people that were, that were riding single track and enjoying technical trails, there was hardly anybody riding like that. And then there was, like, the most cross-country of cross-country, you know, like skinny-tired mountain bikes. Um,
0: yeah, skinny hardtails, lycra, minus 10-degree uh, stems of 120 mil.
1: Exactly that. There was a lot of that. So I was like, you know, there's these, like, Good riders, a lot of them have gone on to be to be professional. We've had, you know, world champions in my in my village, and and um, just in in the villages here, we've got like four or five people that raced uh world cup downhill. So there was there was a that which really they were above my level, obviously. Um, and then there was all these cross country guys that for me that that wasn't mountain biking, and and in the middle there was nothing, and there was you know like. Uh, first thing I did here is I found a trail center and I went to the trail center and I did the, the red trail and it was like 50 kilometers of cement so I was like well I'll try, I'll try the black trail and that was 100 kilometers of cement and it was just like so. and there was no um, awareness of mountain bike guiding or or anything about what qualifications were You know, so we would go and speak to speak to people like we're trying to get permission to do mountain biking, what do we need and they were like, no, you just pay pay a third-party insurance, and that's all you need to do. And now it's starting to come. So now we've got a course at the moment, um, which is not the best, but it, it, at least it's something. So and there's there's talk that very soon we're going to have another another course. So what I means is in Spain and uh, there's a big um, what would you say? It's very variable the sort of guiding that you're going to get because there's not that sort of qualification and that sort of um, system, you know. So that if you if you hire a guide, for example, in France, you hire a guide, you know more or less you're going to get like somebody that that can ride a bike and is up to a certain level. We don't have that, yeah. so because of that, basically what I've done is I've done my Scottish qualification, and then as I took the guides on, they've done whatever qualification they could do here, um, and then I've tried to like. Train them as part of their their sort of introduction to Basque MTV. and we're lucky we don't have a we don't have a turnover of guides. So like you know, Antonio, my guide, he's my oldest guide. Uh, he's been with me for like ten years. So the, basically, the first year we're doing stuff to to train the guides up, and um, you know learn the routes, learn our style of guiding, how we guide, how we look after people, um, and and then after their first year, they basically sort of Start guiding by themselves, so we do it more or less like that.
0: Cool, yeah. Um, there's there's uh, Europe has been quite a blanket of different qualifications, and um, some of them notoriously easy, some of them notoriously difficult. Um, and some of the markets are extremely protected in certain countries, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I, I know that there is the E O M T B I N G qualification that they're really trying to group everything together into a European uh, guiding qualification which which I think is only is only good.
1: Yeah. I think it's got the it's got to be improved. I mean it's, um I spend a lot of time with people that were sort of pioneers in other other activities, you know, like canyoning or or uh, whitewater rafting. Or even like sort of uh, mountain, like high mountain guiding, and it seems to be a yep. sort of the way it, in in Spain anyway that it's worked that the they, people start doing it, and all of a sudden, when there's this sort of critical mass of people doing the activity, they suddenly suddenly realise they've got the they've got the regulator. So, oh, yeah. And I guess that'll happen. I actually found out in the in the course that they're running in Spain. they actually talk a lot about about Basque MTV and about how we do things. Um, so I guess what will happen is we'll put in a proper qualification. I hope you know something that's you know like not just something you do in a weekend or a week. And uh, and I guess what will happen then is we'll have to I don't know how you say it in English like co-validate or you know so you have to do an equivalence basically. So, so me and my guides will will be able to do that. I hope.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. I mean, it's all fun and games until somebody gets hurt in the end, isn't it? And then. Um, then, uh, I mean, I know in, in, in Britain, uh, when I did my, uh, I got the British cycling level uh, yeah. guiding um, yeah. and they were talking about certain incidents like sea kayaking incidents and, yeah. and the hiking incidents and all that kind of stuff. And that really just sharpened up the the, the, the requirements and, and what you need uh, on on, uh, on a day to day basis. And, and yeah, especially if you're out on the mountain so many times with, with, with riders, there's there's you know, it's just a matter of time before you, uh, I say that all, uh, yeah, you need to apply first aid.
1: Yeah, I mean, I say that to people that I know that are sort of starting guiding and maybe using, you know, a course that they've got over the weekend. Um, it's, it's not rocket science, but really sit down and think about what you're going to do, especially if you're just a single guide, what you're going to do, and you, when, not if, when you have the accident. And you've got a guy there that needs help is maybe like in a lot of pain um, and what you're going to do. Because the panic you feel in that situation is uh, it's intense. It's really. And if you don't have all of your stuff lined up beforehand and it's stuff that they teach you in, in the guiding qualification to a point. But a lot of it's just taking the time and sitting down and thinking and thinking what you'll do, you know. What order you're going to make your phone calls in, uh, what equipment you've got with you, uh, what plan you've got for how you're going to get somebody out of an area, because you've got to think that in not in in every area you maybe don't have the best uh, mountain rescue that's available. So it's yeah. something we, I mean, obviously over the years you have accidents and it's it's uh, it affects you. You know, it's. Um,
0: yeah, of course. I mean, you got your you got your route assessment uh, situation where you have to basically go over what you plan to do for today. Where are the sections where you don't have reception? Where is the nearest like access road? Um, all these these little things. And the other day there was this guy somewhere it was quite heavily criticised because he built this huge Britain's biggest drop. Biggest drop, yeah. And and yeah, of course, he 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 knew an area. He saw a cliff. was like, yeah, let's build a landing and huck it. Um, but I, I read an assessment later on from I think from the forestry commission, and, and the man was basically saying like, well, it's it's all nice and well. I'm happy that he landed it. He didn't injure himself, and then everything got taken away. But he says if if anything would have gone wrong, um, for mountain rescue to even access that place would have been, yeah, shit, impossible. And I think. A lot of people, they, they always kind of forget that, that part of, of riding bikes. You know, the um, the famous um, hip pack, pack lights and, uh, and uh, don't bring anything on your bike ride situation. You see that a lot as well. And, and, and even for me, I, I, I encountered, I was just riding up on the trails um, a couple of weeks ago here. And uh, just exploring some new stuff, going, taking it slow, taking it easy. Um, didn't bring much. Didn't bring my first aid kit. Um, and I hit a tree stump with my shin, yeah, I just opened it, yeah, I I didn't even crash I, yeah. I just like hit something and then I stopped and I looked down at my shin. it was just gaping hole in it, and I was like, oh, crap, <laughs> yeah, um, and then, yeah, what do you do? like, well, don't have a first aid kit, does it hurt? no, okay, is it bleeding badly? N- no, okay, great, uh, but then that real assessment kind of comes in, It's like, yeah, I actually. You know, I should at least bring. Um, you know, you got these Israeli bandages that they that, you know, like come in a package and then they wrap around. Because any any normal first aid kit also won't won't really do the trick either. Yeah. Um, you're standing there with your little band-aid going like, hmm.
1: "We." I built a trail out of the back of my house, which they call El Thero, and uh, and it's got no reception, and it's like so so gnarly, and uh, and it's. I don't ride it by myself because of that. And like, it's just right out there in my house and I love it. And I know it's well within my ability, but it's one of those things that's got proper gnarly sort of section in the middle. Um, And if you fell off there, there's no reception. um, You'd be in real problems.
0: I had it actually when I was
1: building the trail. um, I put up a, a thing, don't ride this trail because I'm building it and it's all soft and the ground's not settled in properly. But obviously the local riders... Some of them took that to mean there's a new trail. Let's go and check it out. So <laughs> I was I was there about well just before dark, uh, just finishing up digging this section, and I see these guys coming down it. And first rider, really good rider, I actually know who he is. And then the two riders behind weren't. And the guy in the back crashed on the on just after the gnarly section, and uh, <laughs> he crashed and he went over the bars. But he had his you know the dropper uh, remote, so he had a a dropper remote that on the bottom was uh, for his suspension, you know, for locking out the suspension. And the dropper remote was on the top. So he'd gone over the bars and basically the dropper remote had, like, opened his dick, like, uh, cut almost halfway through it. So he was there with his hands and with all this blood, like, coming out through his leg And I was like, listen, you're going to have to let me see it. And, well, you know, we opened it and I was like, oh, that's uh, that's hospital. And uh, but they were there. They didn't have, uh, obviously, no reception. They didn't have any sort of first aid or anything. And in the end, I took. Out, I had a, a mask for, uh, for COVID. And with that, with some pressure, we managed to get it to stop bleeding. And uh, But they were a long way from help, you know, very quickly. So basically, then I had to, like, help them down the trail I left all my tools and everything. I had to help him down the trail. I got him in my van, which was luckily parked at the bottom, and we drove him up like this sort of 500 meter climb on a road. And at the top, we managed to call uh, call for help. And uh, and they opened the there's like a uh, medical center. But so he has to call up for help, and he's like, I've had an accident on the bike, uh, and I'm, I'm cat. And I, he's got on speaker so I can hear him. And, he, and the the person says, Oh. Where are you, cat? And he's like, "Oh well, uh, uh, yeah." It's like uh, I I've cut—I've cut my penis. The <laughs> <laughs> person on the emergency, like taking like deep breaths, trying not to laugh. <laughs> he's like, "Yeah, oh, okay." <laughs> so we, uh, it just shows I—I quickly. I mean, that could have been really nasty if you had something to to properly put pressure on and and stop it bleeding. There was a lot of blood, you know, and. Uh, he was a long way from because it drops down into a valley, so it was a long way from actually being able to get any help. Um, the poor guy.
0: <laughs> oh man, yeah, and also, I mean, right now it's it's in a quite an unfortunate, but you know, it's, it's right right next to his some of his main arteries. You that's know, it. 10, Five centimeters, ten centimeters, depending on either um, uh, <laughs> <to laughs> side, and being even worse. You know, that's that's, yeah. uh,
1: that's why I said to him because he was panicking and because uh, there was a, there was a lot of blood. But I was saying, listen, if it was if it was one of your main arteries, we wouldn't be having this conversation. So uh, it's been like you know a few minutes, and you're still alive, so you've got you're not going to die.
0: Oh man, poor guy. Uh, well, maybe while while he was in hospital, they could they could do some enlargement. Um, yeah, procedures.
1: So <laughs> <laughs> an extra couple of centimeters.
0: <laughs> oh man. Um, so yeah, you, you, uh, you started to, uh, let's wind back a little bit, you, you, um, you got there, you started to learn a bit of Spanish, you started to explore out some trails, uh, people started to um, know your way and get bookings in and all that kind of stuff. Um, from, from what point did it really start, start taking off? Um,
1: yeah, there was a point where it grew like quite quickly up to a point. Um, and it, it was um, four years in when all of a sudden I was working pretty much every day um, you know over the over the season um, and I had a at that point I'd be able to buy a van, so I had a van um because before that I was renting a van um, and at that point I had a guide some days and who basically drove the van for me um, and other days I was parking the van. So I'd park the van at the top of the hill and we would ride and finish at the bottom of the hill. And then when you were having lunch, I would pedal back up and get the van. And then maybe we would do that once or twice a day. So you got some uplift. And that worked that worked really well up until that point. Because I was only working I'd maybe work a week and I'd be exhausted. But then out of another week that it wasn't work. Um so mm-hmm. it was working really well. But that that fourth year, that basically stopped working because I didn't have any time to recover. So at the end of that year, I was quite ill, and you know I was just basically totally, totally exhausted, overtrained. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, and I mean I, I was thought something was properly wrong, and I you know I went to the doctors, and we got blood tests and everything, and and basically in the end the conclusion was just that, just overtrained. So that winter, so, yeah, that that winter I recovered obviously, and um, and the next year we had. People working with us to guide or to to help drive the van. So I guess that was the, the sort of the first big takeoff. But then what happened when we started offering more uplift, and um, because we had somebody driving all the time, and we could do more shuttles in a day, um, it got more popular. So what was happening then was I was turning people away all the time. Like every week was overbooked. Um, and also what happens is because you have to pay. When you run a, vi- a van and a guide and me, you have to pay for all of that before you earn anything. So what you have to do is you have to try and get like five or six people into the van. So that means you're mixing different groups. And then if they don't quite gel together, the group there's nothing you can do. So that the next year we do the decision. We got another van and we um, and we took on. I already had Antonio with me, and I took on two other guys that had been doing the odd day with me. And uh, and we really went then to two vans and a team of four, um, you know, operating it. And that was like the two sort of main guides and then two sort of secondary guides drivers who we trained up to then become so we're like a team of four that could do everything. And uh, and then I've never wanted to be bigger than that. There was, a, I think about three years ago, I was like, well, we should maybe try and put on another van and expand a little bit more. And we tried a little bit. It's, it, it sort of started to lose a bit of what, what it was about for me so basically stuck at, at two vans and and a team of uh, well we've got a team of four guys now plus me so it means I can uh, I can have some days doing office work and but I can still I can still ride and and uh, normally when I'm riding there's already a guide so I'm doing like doing some photos or whatever so yeah I guess I was so the fourth year it's sort of big step and then the the step up to two two vans was probably year six, and like I say, we never really never really wanted to go further than that.
0: Yeah, I think at some point it just becomes more work and not necessarily more fun at work. Um, and. Also, not necessarily more money. It's just you know more things to go wrong, more more things, more vans to break down, uh, more people to crash, and, and yeah, not necessarily increasing the quality of of life and of work and of, of of the trips themselves.
1: Exactly that year, we started doing doing three groups. What I was finding was I was going in the morning. I was sort of saying hello to everyone, checking everyone was happy, uh, sorting out the problems that there were, speaking to the guides, telling them more or less what the plan was going home answering emails and stuff and then coming back at the end of the day and everybody's arriving back all happy for biking i come back from the office and uh and then basically just you know asking how was your day you know do you need any help with this or with that i i I wasn't really writing about guiding i was just i was like a you know tour organizer i suppose
0: an office worker
1: that's uh, an office worker i was like well if It's just no point it's just you know it's like to be that close to all and see everybody having such a good time and not be involved i'd rather go and work in an office you know
0: so yeah i mean not everybody uh, i mean being the boss of something is nice but uh yeah not everybody's passion is to manage a big group of people and um you know it's just nicer to get your hands dirty and out yeah, on the trail and exploring stuff and seeing the joy in people when you're guiding them down you know those mm-hmm. amazing trails that you know and then like oh you're in for a surprise now and then you reach the, the bottom mm-hmm. and then you see this joy on these people's faces yeah that's something i yeah that's what you that's what makes it worthwhile exactly and almost everybody that comes
1: uh you get on with because you've got something really big in common and also they're on holiday and they want to have a good time and so you end up having like really good fun with people, really enjoying people's company. But if you miss all of that and you're only there at the end of the day when uh, they're not quite happy because the mattress wasn't comfy or something like that, you only see that side of things. Um, you know, you're you really sort of solving problems rather than enjoying the fun part of it. So yeah,
0: yeah, and also if you ask anything, uh, if you ask people like, oh, is there anything we can improve? Because that's something that's on your mind. You know, you can always find something to moan about, and you, they'll be moaning moaning to you about that stuff. So.
1: Yeah, it definitely is true. Yeah. Hey, I'm,
0: I I read somewhere that you've got quite a few famous guests as well, and a few a few industry insiders that wanted to uh, wanted to do a free trip with you. Oh, uh-huh. tell you about.
1: That. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't I tell any names, but uh, that was when I started. That was so the first year that I was running. Like I said, I didn't have a band so I was hiring a van. And I got this inquiry from this uh, group of uh, Americans uh, who basically wanted a free trip because they were, they were industry guys. And they were like, oh, no, we don't pay for things. Do so you know what it was like? It was like uh, what I hear a lot about now with the influencers. You know, they were like, oh, we know everyone in the industry and we can put in a good word for you. And, you know, but you need to, like, do it for free. And I was, like, explaining to them that because I don't have a van, Basically, why charge them for their trip? is going to pay for the van, but maybe I get like a few euros. But it's, there's not really that first year. There was no profit, no matter how much I worked. I wasn't going to make a profit because it was all going away on van rental and all of this. So I couldn't do it. You know, maybe, maybe now I would do it. Probably not, but it would be easier to do it now than it was back then. And uh, so I said that I wasn't going to. And they. They offer me skills training as a, as a, you know, payback. Yeah. So like, look, we'll give you. You're just starting up. We'll give you some skills training. Uh, we're really good riders, and uh, you know, we'll we'll do that for you. And you give us a, you give us the guidance. You know? I was like, look, well, you know, I'm, like I can, I'm not like Steve Pete. I can ride a bike, you know. Uh, uh. So I was like, well, listen, look, tell you what, guys, you sound like you're, you know. Way above uh, my level. Well, what about we come to a deal? If uh, you feel like you're not enjoying the biking because it's, you know, because I'm not able to guide you at the level you want to be guided at, um, then we'll do skills training and I'll bite the cost for the van um, and I'll, you know, I'll charge you a reduced, a reduced rate. And then, well, the first thing was when they turned up, I didn't realize, but the Americans do their dates a different way. So they do uh, year, day, month. Uh, so it's like, so they booked for what I thought was the seventh of June, and it was actually the sixth of July. Um, no, it's the other way around. I, I thought they were coming on the seventh of, the sixth of July, but they came on the seventh of June. So I just got a phone call from the airport saying, "Hey, we're here," and I was like, hey, "You guys aren't coming till next month." Anyway, the things that you learn. Uh, I I I wasn't organizing the accommodation, so it didn't make any difference. So, um. I, 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 you know, rushed down to the van rental place, rented my van, went and picked them up, and then on the first trail, yeah, like I obviously I was nervous because I couldn't afford to pay for the van, and uh, so I like set off, like guiding. Uh, and those those days we guided at the front always. Quite often now we we guide from the back, but we guided from the front. And I set <laughs> set off down the trail, and you know, like after like a few seconds, I realised that there was nobody behind me, and. Yeah, They were good riders, you know, but they were very different style of rider. They were like, you know, they could climb anything um, and they could get down everything, but it was that like uh, cross-country style, you know, like sort of super precise, whereas I'd sort of ride a bit more downhill and I was more like to speed and, you know, over things and straighten things out and, um, you know, pump and jump and, and they, they couldn't do any of that. So...
0: And you had a, quite a you had quite a bit of good motivation, uh, you know, to, <laughs> to, to maybe that was my,
1: maybe that was my first mountain bike race. Actually, thinking about it, first <laughs> prize money was not losing any money on van rentals. I did, you know, what it sounds like. Whenever I tell that story, I feel bad because it sounds like they were horrible. They weren't. They were really nice. They were they really good people, um, and, and we had a real laugh about it. The you know. Uh, there wasn't any egos they were just like you know, where we come from um people ride like us and we don't have people that ride that style like like you ride and i thought like, oh, in scotland like you know there's just such a high level of like if i, where I ride in the trails and i'm you know it's on a good day i'm average but <laughs> that's it and uh you know the next you know the next person i guided was uh was rowan Sorrow. Um, from uh, back on track, you know, it's obviously an amazing rider, and uh, so flowy and so natural on the bike. So it was quite funny doing doing those two things sort of back to the back, <laughs> sort of, in your place yeah. that's mountain biking for you, isn't it, because one day you're the fastest, and you're the guy that's the good guy, and then the next day you're you're the slow guy. <laughs> you
0: know, you showing up with a new group of people, and you're like, oh, oh, okay, so that's what we're doing today. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's
0: it, exactly. I remember. Um, I remember taking um, taking an American guy up to Anasi. Uh, there's a place called the Simnos. Yeah. Uh, it's all natural trails, just hike trails, and uh, there's some things built, but, but not much. Um, and he just came from from uh, from California, I believe. And he's like, oh, you know, I'm going riding this weekend. You want to join? So we we did a double car whammy uplift situation and a thousand and something meters of descending and. I started pinning it down his trail and of course it was like rock strewn everywhere and there's something like two or three sections that it kind of like awkwardly goes up and you have to get off because you know you can't the 10, 10 meters you can't ride and after the first run he's like oh wow that, that's wild Um, I don't you, nobody ever takes a shovel to these trails do they and we're like no man no. Yeah. we just ride it as it is and just you know increase the skill level and stop stop the shoveling no need to rake, uh, rake any yeah. of the trails around here. Besides, there's too many trails to ride if you want to smoothen everything out. You just...
1: In certain parts of America, there's definitely that sort of like, you know, the we actually, we, we call it a Sendero Americano, like American single track here in Spain. We don't have any much of it at all, but every now and then you find a bit of single track that's just, you know, perfectly smooth without any rocks and
0: manicure.
1: Yeah, manicure. Yeah. And there's definitely some people that ride, you know, just that sort of stuff.
0: Yeah, welcome to Europe. It's a shocker.
1: Yeah, that's that totally different.
0: So, so um, what, what did what was the uh, the situation like with the locals when you started? I mean, of course, you're you're the you're the stranger coming to, to the last country, and you've got all these plans. So, was it all smooth or? Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, in all the years of uh, guiding, I had one problem for a while. Um, where somebody felt that I'd come into their area and um and wasn't um, respecting it as much and and that was very very quickly sorted out but um I guess because like other people now like without sort of without sort of boasting about it or being big headed or whatever but other people now have jobs because of the marketing that I did for the area through Basque MTV and most of them sort of appreciate that 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 you know when I started like people I mean for the Basque country people didn't most people didn't even know where the Basque country was and like now it's sort of a place that people think of to go mountain biking um, yeah. and then as well with the Pyrenees I started before the Pyrenees on our side was a destination for mountain biking so You know, I was already going by the time, like, Thonathero started the year after me. So because of that, I was sort of involved in um, helping to a certain extent and also uh, getting the benefit of, to a certain extent, um, those those areas starting. So we never really had any sort of negative um, sort of feedback from people. And then I've done things as well, so, like, um, we have a policy that the guides are local um, which is for lots of reasons but it helps um, we also have a policy that if we go to an area and there exists a local uplift company um, then we'll try and use that company as much as possible as uh, as long as they sort of you know they offer a, a decent service we always try and use like locally owned hotels um we also try and use uh, like restaurants um, that either put some money back into the trails or our own by local people or local riders. So like all of those things, um, mean that we're sort of contributing. So we're not one of these companies that we turn up with our vans, we use your trails and then we take the guys away to like, you know, the, like a big chain of hotels where they're going to give me like a 25% kickback for, for putting people there. We don't do it like that. So, and then on the other side, um, I do a lot of trail building, um, like not in the Pyrenees because um, because 'cause they've got that site covered, but on the Basque Coast and around here. So that nobody can ever really say like and I know like some of the local trail builders here don't want people using their trails but they 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 tell me when when they build a new trail and where it is and all that sort of thing. And that's just being being a trail builder, you know, like that's um that's the sort of benefit you get from spending time building trails you know uh, there's the magnet biking community but within the magnet biking community there's a the trail building community which is a sort of smaller yeah. and a little bit more um difficult to be part of you know
0: yeah well, i think you just got to show up with the show up with the tools and doing the get getting the work done and yeah um is making making things happen nice 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 to see that of course you know it's all about giving back uh, like you said there's some companies out there that they really just come in they rent a huge chalet they all do their their own cooking they bring their own food from everywhere and um, it. i see that in lots of different places that as long as you involve the community they can actually see the the value to it yeah um but it's, it's difficult difficult to to bring a sports quite unknown to you know, quite rural areas where you know people have been a lemon farmer for seventeen generations, and you're doing what, where, how? They're just, you know, it's, it's difficult to get their head around in the beginning.
1: Yeah, we're seeing that a lot with uh with places like Donostio and in, in the Pyrenees, where it's these really small rural communities, and all of a sudden the places are filled with bikers. You know, and uh, well, there's some some adjustment needs to be done. You know, for instance, like with our guests, like we arrive. You come off the trail and you ride to these little villages and all the villages are built on a slope and they've got steps and it was really tempting to, to ride like an idiot through the tag exactly and it's something that we really control you know like as soon as you get to the tag it's like it's walking pace and uh, maybe the last run of the day when there's nobody about it, you can be a bit more silly but you know i mean it's like really trying to respect the local areas and and um, and do good marketing for bikers, you know, do good publicity for, for the biking community so that people see that we're we're not like hooligans, you know, because obviously they see you in the bike. The bikes are fast and, you know, you've got maybe a full-face helmet and goggles on and um, yeah. it's not like a really friendly image. But, you know, if you come back into town and you lift your goggles up at least and you smile and and no matter where you're from, if you try to greet people in the local language and these sort of things, you know,
0: it makes a difference. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Cool. Um so yeah, um, I've I've noticed that you also started working with uh with the local bike company in uh for for, for quite a few years now. Do you yeah. wanna tell me a bit about how did that came to be and Yeah. Um,
1: so like when I started here or Orbea has a factory just um like an hour from here. So when I started I basically, you know, once I sort of got going a little bit, I basically went and knocked the door and introduced myself. And, uh, and slowly, very slowly, um, we sort of got to know each other. Um, and, well, maybe five or six years ago, I got a bike for, for guiding on. Uh,
0: and then I started
1: helping them do their, their press launches as well. As it you know, they were doing they were doing press launches that maybe weren't as good as they could have been, and my thing was well that's what I do you know that's my job is to organise. It's basically it's not with journalists but it's like you know the the organise accommodation, food, all the trails, um, you know so the idea was to sort of help them with that. So now I guess for anything that sort of Gravity, you know, or or trail or gravity. Then we help organ, organize the, the press launches, um, and do we do quite a lot. Like uh, we get to test some of the new bikes, um, you know, sort of through the the prototype stage, um, and put some miles on them. Um, we get to do like little video projects. I don't know if you saw the video thing that we did uh, up in the Pyrenees, camping up in the mountains. Um, so that was like a that was a sort of little video project that I sort of proposed to them we basically did do like little things helping out here and there and and getting involved and I guess in return we get um, you get bikes which is brilliant especially you know, our bears come from from uh, a very sort of like road cross country um, style Micro. yeah that's it to, I mean, like, you know, the new Rion, the new Occam's amazing, the new the new Rise, which, which is their electric bike. So they've got these really great, like, trail gravity bikes. Um, and they're, you know, obviously there's new things coming out, new things in the pipeline. And um, They've gone from basically being bikes that I rode um, because I didn't have to pay for them, the bikes now that I would... Even if I had to buy them myself, I would, you know what I mean? So it's been a cool, cool to be like part of that process. And now it's really good for us because, you know, when you get fast group coming out and you're on a bike that you're not really that happy with, it's really difficult. But, you know, so now having like, especially like there was like a period there when the bikes were changing from being like carbon fiber to be, or sorry, from being aluminium to being carbon fiber. And all of a sudden, all of the guests were coming out of these carbon fiber bikes, and I'm on my—I was guiding on a on a Cove G spot at the time, which weighed like 17 and a half kilograms. And uh, uh, exactly, and it was really hard. And now, you know, normally every week we've got like the, the guides of the nicest bikes, it's like you know, or at least as good as everybody else's. So that makes a massive difference, just to just to sort of day-to-day life.
0: Yeah, seventeen kilo bike is not the most. I mean, it's it's durable. I can I can you can tell by the weight. You, know, you won't get any mechanicals you know, while guiding, but yeah, you know, combine the seventeen kilo bike weight with like your guiding pack because that also includes you know all the spares that everybody else forgets, plus an extra set of clothes, plus you know all that stuff. So um, yeah.
1: yeah, so now yeah no that's that's sort of the relationship with our um, uh It's like. Our base, um i don't know if you know—but our is a cooperative, so it's basically the company is owned by the owned by the workers. So it's got like a it's like a it's grown a lot over the last few years. But it's like a, a sort of family atmosphere. So it's cool to sort of be part of it and um, be part of that sort of thing, you know. And it's all quite exciting because the bikes are, you know, they're really improving their or have improved their bikes and. You know, it's it's an exciting thing to be part of, and it's cool, cool getting to help with the press lunches and all these things.
0: Yeah, I, I see that more. I've, I've been to Basque Country only once, um, okay. long time ago, when I was uh, I was actually a, a, a van driver and uh, for a uh, for a band. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, they they were like, oh, we need somebody to drive. We're doing a tour of France and Spain. Um, you got? Can you can you take two weeks off and um, check with my boss? and like, yeah, go for it. So um, yeah, I got I got around there, and um, what I m- immediately noticed that there's a super different vibe in Basque country. It's um, it's very social. It's it's very communal. Um, the place where we where the band played was a former prison, which was run by the teenagers of the of the village. So if you're older than 31, you had nothing to say in that building whatsoever. It was all the, all the kids doing it, yeah, um, and, uh, and, and and everybody was supporting, were super supportive of, of the scene, and they were really, uh, <clears throat> they had their own radio station, so they would bang on with all the CDs and, and all the tunes of the band in the weeks before. Um, the merch sales on that night was, like, by far the biggest of, of the, whole, the whole tour. And... Uh, yeah, I know. It's it's a really different vibe around there, and it's it was I, re- I really liked it. It was really uh, really interesting to see. And... It's a nice
1: culture. The you know the way that the Basque people live. It's like you say. It's like quite communal. Lots of you know people sort of live outside, and you know you go down to the the local village or the local town, and everybody's outside. You know, nobody yeah. nobody buys a drink and goes and sits at a table with their friends inside a bar. It's are outside, yeah. and they're talking to everyone. And
0: yeah, yeah, time, so I know that as like, well. Cause I because I think we stayed one extra day, and then they took us to all the bars. And there's like a tiny, tiny village, but there was like I don't know, like twenty bars. It was tons of them. We only had tiny beers, do one beer, and then go to the next. Bar. Every single bar was playing punk rock music. Yeah,
1: yeah, they they <laughs> love punk rock. Yeah, it's a big thing. So.
0: So that's cool. Um, So yeah, it's nice that that Orbea has the kind of the same spirit in this. Um, I I saw you doing quite a bit of miles on on their e-bike as well, their lightweight e-bike. What what do you have to say on that one? On the... So it's...
1: I'm not like an e-biker. Okay, so I like... I like the sort of physical aspect of biking as well. Um, And then for how I like to ride a bike, it's... I'm not all about how fast you can go. I like playing on the bike a little bit, you know, trying to like maybe double things up or, you know, play about with different lines. And um, so I'd say up until now, for me, an e-bike hasn't hasn't done it for me because it's like the e-bike just, you know, you just, I mean, I read a statistic that most people ride e-bikes in the lower two modes. I don't like it like that. It just feels so heavy and horrible. So for me it's terrible and it basically pulls you up the hill. And then on the way down the hill, it's really fast because it's so heavy and so planted on the ground. But you, it's not like playing on stuff, you know, even like even to try and sort of like manual through some roots or something, it's heavy the bike to get up there. Um so I'd say like for me the rise, which is their e bike, is like the first e bike I've just gone, wow, yeah, like you know, when I, after the press launch and uh, I did a bunch of miles on the prototype and everything, I really didn't want to give it back. Um, it's, you, you, I mean, you can ride it in turbo, it just doesn't have much range like that. Um, so you ride it normally at, like trail or even echo. And it's just like, it's just like you, but the fittest you've ever been. So and it's really natural the way they tuned it. And then on the, on the downhills, it just feels like a normal bike. That's the amazing thing because it is, you know, like I think you can get them like sixteen kilograms or something. But for a bike that I would ride, it's about seventeen point two kilograms.
0: It really brings in the playfulness back into the riding and jump stuff, gap stuff. Absolutely, just the weight thing is riding e-bikes quite a bit as well. And um, that is definitely. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm tall. I'm one meter eighty eight, and and I can I I can handle that bike, but it it is quite a lot of weights to handle and i know my wife my wife doesn't really like him because she's only not even 60 kilos yeah so it's like a third of her body weight and she says well all the energy i save in my legs i just like i destroy my upper body on it yeah. so it's no it doesn't make any sense yeah it's that trail
1: i was telling you about that really steep trail out the back of the house um yeah. on the e-bike it it's quite scary because you feel like the weight of the bike pulling you down the hill and the other thing you feel is because like, there's a couple of sort of slabs that are like you know, quite exposed but vertical. And you have to really get your line right. And on a normal bike you can adjust your line, but on the e bike, it's really hard on that steep to adjust your line at all. So yeah. but the rise, yeah, the rise for me is um I, I use it a lot and um I had to give that one back I've got another one coming, but it's a bike I'll use a lot. And I've got like a, like a full e-bike down there as well. And I use that for basically for going and doing trail work and stuff. But I don't ride it for fun, if that makes sense. And everyone's different. I think that's that's the thing. Like I tried to write a, tried to write something about the rise on my website. And I was like, I'm not even going to tell you if it's a good bike or not. It's The question isn't that. It's like, is it your bike? Because if you're riding an e-bike just now and you like everything about it, then the rise isn't for you. You're not going to like it. Um, but maybe if you're riding a trail bike and you want a little bit of help, or you're riding an e-bike and it's frustrating you because the weight, then then maybe it's the bike for you. It's yeah, it's interesting. You so see, see if uh, our bear can uh, can get you on to test.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm chatting with them, but um, yeah, the current uh, situation in bike land is is tricky. Uh, lead times are are really really tricky marketing teams they 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 are struggling to find bikes to test and and then there's the other question what good is it to test a bike if it's sold out for the next 18 months
1: yeah i'm in the same position as like i'm waiting for i've done like half of a i want to do like a an article on the rise with different weights and uh, changing some things and just seeing how it affects the the range and then write like a really honest article just with the data so that you know, cause like I think people that buy that sort of bike are quite like me, like a bit sort of geeky. They want to see the numbers. So halfway through doing the article, but I had to give the bike back because it was booked out for someone else, and now I'm waiting to get
0: <laughs> to get it again. So yeah, it's it's tricky. I'm I'm kind of thinking that you know, with IMB, at some point we just need to go and purchase our own bikes. Um, I I would need probably would need to ask for more reader support for this, and um, but if we really want to continue with doing bike tests um yeah i don't see any other way because um, uh, what was 2020 um so 2020 started off
1: brilliant um like you know like a full year boot and you know as busy a year as as any other year and then obviously we heard about the about the pandemic and I think like a lot of people didn't believe that it was really going to be as bad as they were saying, you know. And then, we had, so we had two weeks booked in March in Aienza and then um, towards the end of the first week um, we started like hearing that we were going to get restrictions in Spain and um, and the guys were panicking. I was quite relaxed. I was like, no, they can't shut the country. They can't just stop people coming in and out of the country. That, that can't happen. And then, uh, and then and then on Thursday, because our trips ran from Saturday to Saturday, so on Thursday things were looking bad, and then on Friday we were in like emergency mode, because we had a group of people, a group of twelve people already here in Spain, and we had another group of twelve people arriving. So on the Saturday we had to take these twelve people to the airport and pick up the next twelve people, and uh, so by Friday it was like emergency mode. We were like, uh, you know, making arrangements, getting making sure, because they were talking about shutting the roads on Saturday morning, making sure we had special permission to get our guests to the airport. And then on the other hand, I was calling everybody, um, you know, from the group that was arriving, telling them not to come, to turn around. And, um, and yeah, from there it just went, you know, we thought it would open again and it would be like a, a month or you know, we'd be guiding again by June. And then, no, June wasn't going to happen. And then on, surely by July we'll be working again. No. Nope. Um, and they actually opened up. So we opened up for two weeks in July. Um, and we, we had um, two groups. So half groups they were, but two two half groups of six people. And um, and it was brilliant. It was really good. No no problems at all. And then everything shut down again. And So basically, I booked 600 people for 2020, and I canceled 580. So, <laughs> so yeah, I guess we've had like, we've had two half weeks of work in, in July. And apart from that, we've been shut for the year. And then this year, um, we had fully booked uh, April and May, and I've just canceled that. So I'm gonna I canceled April and May, then um, I'm gonna make a decision in, in sort of three or four weeks, about June and July. Um and it's the same thing. We've got we've got less bookings for sure this year, but for instance September and October are really fully booked and hopefully we're going to be able to do those. But it's just obviously we want to work, you know, we're desperate to work for financially and also because we want to, we want to ride our bikes with people, you know what I mean? And and run up all day and then have some beers afterwards. That's like, you know, we're missing it. Um, and, But we can't take any risks because the risk you're taking is with somebody getting stuck here, or, you know, um, another example is uh, if there's, uh, if everything isn't open, then maybe your insurance doesn't cover you. So we really want to open, but we don't want to take any risks, um, you know, thinking about like having a hotspot, a Basque MTB hotspot, you know, it's just, it doesn't bear thinking about. It. So, so I guess we're being maybe a little bit cautious, you
0: know. There's a school of thought, thought saying that um, any type of publicity is good publicity, but I, I think I, I'd, I'd like to challenge that. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> the new COVID hotspot in 2021.
1: I know, that, I Imagine a small mountain bike company in the north of Spain was responsible for For thousands of COVID cases. No, it's not. I just even like, just as a responsibility to the people, you know, our guests, as people we know, and, you know, really don't want to do anything that puts MD in any sort of uh, awkward or difficult or dangerous position. So, so yeah, basically, that's, we're hoping that, you know, with the vaccine rollout and and all of that, we will be able to start offering something, but we're you know we're going to wait. We're cautious, that's it. So it's been.
0: How was the uh, was was what was the, the help like from from the government? Is that is that been um, satisfactory or is it has it proven a bureaucratical nightmare? And has been a,
1: it's been a bit of a nightmare to be honest. Um, so in theory. Like, because all my guides are employed, so they're not, uh, I don't just contract them, they're they're employed by Baskin TV, uh, which gives them a lot better um, protection and, and rights. So they're getting something from the government, um, which is up until now has sort of been enough to, to survive. Um, and that's, you're never sure when it's going to stop. At some point, that's going to stop. Um, the problem, I guess, is that we have to pay their um, social security still. So, as a business, we are being asked to pay f- for those guides still our part, which is like you know, it's like a couple of thousand euros a month. Um, but the helps for businesses aren't very forthcoming. So, so far, I would say in the year we've had. To pretty much zero, zero help from the government. Um, Now, there's a help come out in the town, which is, or in the region, which is like four kilometers to the north, but we've moved into a different region and there's no helps in our region. There's, I mean, there's a small help, but the the number of hoops that you have to jump through to get to it, uh, we're like it could potentially cost us more to pay the accountant to get us the help than the help would be worth. Um, so you no, know, we've really we've really sort of survived, I guess, on savings and a bank loan for for paying all these things. Because that's the thing with the business that the costs a lot. of The costs don't stop, you know. So you've still got to lease your van. You've still got the well pay all all of the insurances that we have. Uh, you know, we pay. I don't know what it is, but it's a good few thousand a year in insurances in to let, let us do what we do, and all of that has to
0: keep being paid because we might be able to open. You know what I mean? So it's like yeah, yeah. You can do it all and then go like, oh wait, and two weeks from now we can actually start doing stuff, and then that's it exactly. I, mean, I stopped the other day because we're not allowed to travel between regions, and I was by the police
1: because um, so I was traveling between a region and I had my bike, my biking gear, and I showed them my, my certificate. I mean, it was say traveling between the region, it's going like three kilometers north. Um yeah. So I could have ridden there. Um And he was like, you're riding your bike. And I was like, no, no, that's my job. It's like, and I've you know, I like, there's a trail there that I have to go and check because next week we might be able to work. And I need to know really? that that trail's in good conditions because if I can work, then I need to go through it. So, yeah. So, yeah, it's been a bit... It's been a bit of a disaster, really, for um, for business wise. You know, for and, and how much how much help. But on the other hand, you sort of feel a bit. You know, it's been a disaster, but uh, none of us have got sick. You know, um, we're not at any. We're not losing our house. You know, we're not. There's a lot of people worse off. Um, mm. So it's been it's been a, a difficult year and uh, it's not finished yet but it's we've you know we've we've got through it you know there's, I'm not there's no danger of basketball to be uh folding or going under um and yeah n- now like the guides have got some other things going on you know like to sort of keep them busy and and get some money coming in I've got like I, I'm doing a couple of days work um actually with her Bay at the moment helping with some translations my wife's doing some translations for for another company and doing like a lot of uh, a lot of trail building and and i managed to get like the local government to to start a project for some trails building around my house which it's all these like so there's lots of there's not lots but there's there's some positives you know come out of it as well you know things that maybe we wouldn't have had time to do uh in a normal year but that we've had time to do, you know. So that's cool. I think no, I say that that's cool that these things have, have happened. I think it's there's some positive
0: Yeah, I mean there's always um you know, through every difficult moment you you, you come out as a stronger person and you um you have some new realisations and um I, I see that a lot just around me as well. There's there's so many people out there and have to rethink their plan or have to reassess what they're doing on the day-to-day and i uh, trying to make things work and yeah I really hope especially also for you guys uh, that, that yeah, the vaccine and yeah. you can start doing stuff again in in, in, in summer because uh, yeah, 12 months 13 months yeah I think
1: things are looking positive at the moment aren't they I mean there's a lot of the vaccines are being rolled out uh, cases are dropping a lot and um, and then i think it's things that have to come back i mean what i'm hearing from people because obviously i'm speaking to a lot of people because i'm speaking to people to book their holiday and then i'm speaking to them to cancel it and what i'm hearing from a lot of people is a lot of people aren't even wanting me to the them; or they're they're just want to move their date you know can we just move it forward six months so people are, are really desperate to, uh, to have a holiday so i think things yeah things where they come back will come back strong
0: yeah it's kind of comparing to the roaring 20s you know i'm I'm expecting to see uh, uh it's like in the 1920s where everybody was just you know out about doing things going places bars restaurants music and holidays and all that kind of stuff and uh I'm, I'm pretty sure as well that 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 stuff will pick up, and and of course we've we'll have lots of good reasons to go to back country because you've been digging trails for about twelve months, and that's the beauty
1: of it. And it's not just me. It's, um I remember when uh, we were locked down, we weren't meant to go out of our houses at all, other than for like you know buying shopping or going to the doctor, unless you had permission to work. um But we weren't allowed to go outside like, to exercise or anything. I think I was I didn't go outside the the Fence of my house for like two months, but when they, they lifted that quarantine, all of a sudden you start going out and checking. There was so many new trails, and so a lot of people during the quarantine have been sneaking out and digging trails. So here, just in my like, you know, I live with not like huge mountains, but like sort of six, seven hundred meter mountains on on either side, and uh, we've got like six or seven new full length trails in in the the area, so.
0: That's good. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. You know, COVID brings a lot of a uh, lot of stress, but also a lot of uh, a lot of good things to it. I mean, I see two of my friends; they're all based in in France, where all the ski lifts are closed. Um, they've been fit; they're fitter than ever because yeah. everybody's got new skis. Everybody's touring up, and just like um, you know, they got loads and loads of time to 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 explore new adventures and yeah, no. Yeah, well let's, let's hope everything just uh, turn turns around a bit um, do you have any other bigger, bigger plans for 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 Basque M to be in in, in, the, in the future uh, what is a uh, what is on the horizon not really um we like
1: like I say we don't want to be any bigger you know I don't want to add any sort of more complexity um, the we've got some new trips that we're gonna that we're gonna offer um so like mm-hmm. some sort of you know, uplifted point-to-point-style trips. Um, we're hoping, like, the... Yeah, we did this really cool trip with Orbea, which was, there's was a video about it. I um, can pass you the link if you want. The, we cycled around the, the highest mountain in the Pyrenees. Um, and it was like a sort of two-day trip, um, but passing through some really cool mountain bike centres. So at the moment, I'm sort of thinking about doing a trip around that with probably three nights camping supplied by by donkeys or mules. So you'd arrive, you know, you cycle in and you've got the mules there carried in like a, a camp set up and, you know, like food and wine and and that sort of, you know, the important things. <laughs> and sleep up there, like right up in the tops of the mountains. Well, you know, just below, obviously, so you get, you know, in the wind or whatever. Um, so, like, got some new trips that we'll do. I guess that's just a sort of – we're always – Gradually adding new things or tweaking trips, but really, um, e-bikes obviously e-bikes are going to be are going to be a cool thing. And I reckon um, we are talking about the rise earlier. I reckon the rise for me opens up some really cool possibilities because you've got a bike that's got a lot of range that's not too heavy if you have to push it, or or you can carry it quite easily. You know, for for getting to some really cool places. So I reckon that we'll have some trips, you know, sort of coming out with e-bikes um, in the not very distant future at all. Um, but apart from that, not really anything, anything dramatic. Just keep keep doing it and keep sort of enjoying it and keep focusing on on doing something that you enjoy and trusting in the fact that there's enough other people out there that enjoy the same thing. That you're always if you do what you love, you're always going to have a, a market for it.
0: Yeah. Cool. Yeah, sounds good. That sounds like a good place to be at. You know, just doing what you love. And you know, if you have twelve months to think about what you're doing and all that, and all you want to do is get back to what you were doing, and yeah. you know, I think you've nailed it. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I really you know, the idea with the the five star uh, five star back backpacking bike packing trip, basically the bike packing thing, but without carrying all the heavy crap. Okay, exactly. <laughs> you sort of ride normally, and then it's well, it's amazing
1: like. When you arrive, you know, to, to the base camp and you're just somewhere where there's nothing. And then there's these like, you know, half a dozen uh, mules, some tents set up, a little bottle of wine. It's good. No, Sign me up. Absolutely. I'll pass you the details. <laughs> and hopefully, uh, if, you're, if you're over this way or if you ever fancy or when you're allowed to, you should give us a shout. I and mean, there's always space in the van. If
0: you're- yeah, it's all about lifting, uh, lifting the the travel restrictions yeah. and all that stuff. Uh, uh, but uh, yeah, once stuff is opening up, uh, I definitely want to to do a road trip. We've we've got a camper van, yeah. um, and a really old, really one. But uh, just uh, yeah, we want to go to towards that that side of the that side of Europe. Uh, not, never ridden much in Spain. Uh, been to Barcelona region, Madrid. Yeah and uh, further south through almeria but never towards Basque country you've got a lot of uh, a lot of
1: variety within
0: a small space
1: and
0: that's what i see on the pictures yeah on your website it's it looks like you've you've traveled everywhere around the world but you know you've got the utah style you've got the high alpine the pyrenees you got right next to the coast the lush green stuff that's it. it's all within
1: like uh, you know like a couple of hours drive maybe three hours drive See if we can get you a visit with uh, their bear factory so you can call it work.
0: Yeah, I need to we need to see if we can tie all these things together. But, uh, you know, um, if you uh, if you don't want something, you'll find an excuse. And if you do want something, you'll find a way, I always say. That's so. it, absolutely. <laughs> cool, I think that kind of wraps it up. Perfect, thanks a lot. So, there you have it. It was great to chat to Doug. Can't wait to make it down to Basque Country myself and ride some epic single track with him. If you haven't made any holiday plans, chances are big on that one, keep Basque MTB in mind. If you want to hear what episode 2 is about, just make sure to subscribe. Of course, you can follow Singletrack Society Podcast on Instagram, and if you want to help me upgrade my recording equipment, go ahead and send a donation through at www.ko-fi.com slash Singletrack Society Podcast. Thanks for listening, and until the next one.